Welcome to the Relationship Church Podcast. This is our midweek service where we dive deeper into the Word of God, studying the Bible together as a body. We invite you to grab your Bibles, open your minds, and prepare to search the Scriptures with us. We are Relationship Church, the Whole Life Church going to ask that uh, everyone would open their Bibles today to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Um, I don't know how things are going to go. Never know how things are going to go, but uh, I don't know if we're going to be short today if we're going to take the whole time, if we're going to need to carry some over to uh, whatever the next time is. Uh, but I promise you, I will not keep you uh, longer than uh, the time that we normally are here. That's a promise. All right. So uh, Judges chapter six. And actually, let's go back to chapter five and uh, pick up the last portion of verse 31. So Judges chapter five and uh, the last sentence there of 31, uh, which says, and the land was peaceful for 40 years. Now, one of the rules of Bible study is that you don't start where it says and um, for the sake of our study today, though, uh, going to start there and I'll fill in uh, everything before that. Uh, chapter five of Judges is the song of Deborah. Uh, Deborah was one of the uh, judges of Israel, the only female judge, uh, she led the nation um, at the time against the Midianites. And uh, her her war general, Barak, uh, went and fought and did the things that um, the Lord said through her. As a matter of fact, he said that he would not go forward if uh, Deborah wouldn't be with them. So just giving a bit of background there. But uh, they, being Israel, uh, were at war and, uh, yeah, they were at war with Midian until the Lord raised up Deborah to deliver them from, um, from that bondage and that oppression. All right, so that's uh, the end of chapter uh, 5, verse 31. Uh, Judges chapter 6 says, uh, the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, uh, which is why we went back to one. So uh, they had been in war with Midian and the Lord gave them peace for 40 years after Deborah rose as judge, which was the um, that was a custom of Israel. Uh, they would fall into idol worship. 
they would fall away from God. The, uh, they would cry out to the Lord. The Lord would raise up a judge. They would do what the Lord said while the judge was alive. And then after the judge died, they would fall back into idolatry and the cycle continued over and over again. There was peace, though, for 40 years um, before they were back into a situation where uh, Midian was oppressing them all over again. Uh, seems like they would have uh, learned the lesson, uh, but uh, 40 years passed and they were back in the same situation. Uh, so I'm going to ask this question. We, we'll do a little bit of biblical numerology uh, today. Uh, so uh, with that being said, does anyone know? Uh, feel free to unmute or uh, type in the chat. Um, number one, the, just with the number 40, uh, came up a number of times in the Bible. Uh, what are some of the instances where the number 40 was associated with something in the Bible? Uh, Mother Neil, I see, I see you open. Or you are. Uh, <laughs> they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Forty years they were in the wilderness. Absolutely, uh, 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 Mother uh, McNair. No, I'm joking. Uh, oh, and that, you're not McNair, so that there is no Mother McNair. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> funny. Uh, Sister Pastor uh, Dean. <laughs> um, I was gonna say um, forty days and forty nights. Um, Noah was in the ark. Yep, forty days and forty nights. Noah was in the ark. Uh, good. Those are both. Um, good ones. Uh, anyone have anything else of, of the number 40 and uh, uh, different things in the Bible? For 40 days. Say it again. Jesus fasted. I say Jesus fasted for 40 days. Yep. Jesus uh, was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. Uh, and 40 tempted. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you know, those are some great examples of the number 40 uh, and the Bible. Um, question for you all. Does anyone know what the number 40 represents? Let's Anything? see something good. <laughs> um, Testing trial. Yes, yes. Uh, 40 represents a period of testing and trial. Uh, you are absolutely correct. Uh, there's another meaning that uh, 40 has as well. Um, anyone else uh, know what that may be? A long time. <laughs> yes, you are absolutely correct. A long time. Uh, you, you're, you're closer than you think. I uh, was saying that 40 represents a generation, um, uh, which when you think about the uh, children of Israel being in the wilderness for 40 years. That was so that the current generation could pass off and then the younger generation could enter into and inherit uh, the land because of the uh, disobedience of the previous generation and the Lord's promise that Israel will inherit the land. So uh, yes, you are absolutely correct. A long time uh, and a generation is a long time time excellent 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 good job everybody uh we we got got another one though got another one so so stay on your uh on your your uh numeric toes 
Um, let me go back. All right, so um, hand them over to Midian for seven years. So we got another number. Uh, uh, t- tell me something that uh, that seven is associated with in the Bible. Completion. The, it, yes, it, yes, means completion. Uh, absolutely, you are uh, you are correct and. Uh, and as a good student, you are ahead of the game. I didn't ask what it meant yet. I asked something it was associated with. Oh, I guess it's associated with completion. So okay, I I uh I, I take back my uh my my statement. Uh can y'all think of any things that happened like uh in seven? The world I, was created in seven years. Yep. I mean in seven days. I'm sorry, and I said, yeah, yes, yeah, seven days. Uh the world was. Uh, created and that's really in line with what uh, Tiffany said as far as uh, completion and perfection is another um, another term associated with the number uh, seven and uh, much of the completeness goes in line with what uh, you said Mother Neil as far as the world being created in seven days excellent work uh, all these wonderful seven angels seven angels to the uh to the seven uh churches yep yep that's good what else you got there's another seven uh <laughs> seven or there seven are a couple sevens with of, that uh tribulation seven years of tribulation seven years of tribulation gone mm-hmm. what else uh what else is in, in in revelation with the number seven uh the seven well we said the seven churches but Mm-hmm. Seven plagues, the seven seals. Mm-hmm. Seven plagues, seven seals. Uh seven seven candlesticks. Yes. Yes. You you uh yep. you are on it. You are on it. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, you you're fine. All right. So um again, seven being the number of perfection and completion. Uh the Lord allowed. Midian to oppress them for a uh, perfect and a complete seven years uh, to bring about, excuse me, a change in Israel. Uh, So verse two, uh, and they oppressed Israel because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds, which you know that that's wise making uh, a hiding place for yourself make making a, or I should say fighting from a fortified uh position i like that this version says hiding place though cuz that's really um what happened they they went off hiding they they were scared they were uh they were being oppressed and they did not want to engage with the midianites they didn't want the midianites uh to see them they didn't want the Midianites to know where they were. They surely didn't want the Midianites to know what they had. They were off uh, hiding away from Midian. All right, uh, verse three will tell us why that was the case. So whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and Kedemites came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land 
even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their camel and their tents like great, like a great swarm of locusts, and their camels were without number. Uh, they entered the land to waste it. So Israel became poverty stricken because of Midian, and the Israelites cried out to the Lord. Um, if any of this sounds familiar, um, I believe when Dr. D was with us last, I uh, gave an exhortation regarding this passage. So if any of us like, hey, you know what? I think I, I heard this uh, before recently. Th that's probably where uh, you heard that. Um, I, I chose to teach on it tonight, though, because there's a lot of stuff here and uh, way too much for five minutes on a Sunday. Uh, so just a, a bit of transparency on my part. All right. So they drove them. This is a special kind of siege warfare that the Midianites engaged in. Uh, a siege warfare is when you kind of like you, you encamp around a land and you cut them off from everything else and you you really kind of uh you you wait them out and you stall them out you keep them from uh being able to come in or go out and kind of wait until their resources have been depleted and take over well they didn't wait until the resources were depleted they actually depleted their resources so much so that uh not only were they taking all of their goods that they had planted for the year, all that they worked for, all that they uh, uh, had toiled for, they took all of that from Israel and whatever they could not take, they burned up, uh, including their livestock. So all of their oxen, all of their sheep, all of their donkeys, all of the stuff that uh, they would use to till the land and uh, get wool from so that they uh, would have the, the proper clothing uh, for the winter time, you know, the, the all of that kind of stuff was either taken or burned. And they did this every year for seven years. A couple things here. One, they were on the brink of collapse as a nation because of the way that Midian was doing things. Two, on a totally different, uh, or I should say from a totally different aspect, even though this stuff kept happening, they kept planting. They kept finding a way uh, to get seed. They kept finding a way to get the pack of animals that they needed to, to plow the land and, and do those things. So even though they were absolutely destitute, the Lord still was providing for them in those times were there people who probably died of starvation i'm sure that happened uh but as a nation they still uh were there it did not wipe them out did it nearly wipe them out yes did it was it crippling them absolutely but it did not take them out um so just kind of keep that in mind 
as we're going through the things that we go through in life, there may be some things that are crippling. There may be some things that have us right on the brink of destruction. But as long as we are gods, and as long as we continue to seek him, we know that no matter how bad things get, he's still with us and he's still providing for us. So, you know, just think about that you know, now, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're dealing with, look at what you do have. Look at what God is doing for you. Uh, the fact that you have breath, the fact that uh, you have uh, uh, food and clothes and uh, you have a, a shelter over your head. You know, you you have different uh, luxuries, especially here in the U.S. You have different luxuries. You may not have everything the way that you want it to be or as things have been in the past or where you believe that they should be, but you are much further along and better off than you could be. And that is because we serve a mighty, awesome, and a faithful God. In this situation, the Lord was still providing for them, even though they were in complete opposition to the Lord. They were serving other gods. They were not serving him. Yet because of his love for them and because of his promise to Abraham, he continued to sustain their lives. He would not allow them to be wiped out completely. Uh, Did they have it hard? Yes, they were supposed to because of what they were doing, but he would not allow them to be wiped out because of his promises. All right, let us continue on. Uh, Chapter... Uh, not chapter, help me, Lord. Verse seven. When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I delivered you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am Yahweh. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in, but you did not obey me. So he he lays out what's going on in their lives right now and why he, he reminded them, look, I'm God. All the delivery that, that took place previously is because I delivered you. Whatever uh, wealth and, and power uh, and strength you have, it's because I gave it to you. And I told you, don't fear the gods of the land that you're going into. Matter of fact, we take it uh, a bit further. I told you to, to get rid of all that stuff, not to allow the people to live there because they were going to turn uh, your hearts away from me and into idol worship. But you did not fear me. Instead, you feared the gods of the land. I'm glad that the word fear was used here, because often when we associate uh, the fear of God, and it's just uh, the way that we do it historically as a people, especially in the Western world, we we associate it with you know, spooky uh, fear and, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm scared and, and trembling versus what was meant, which is revering God, which is obeying God, which is honoring God, 
And uh, this is a great example of the word fear uh, with a guy. And you can see it here. It's like, okay, it's really obvious. No, they weren't. They weren't scared of, of the gods of the Amorites, but they were honoring them by following them, which is what uh, the fear of God is. All right, let's keep going. Uh, verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah. I've heard of Ophrah, Ophrah. Uh, I was listening to it on the, the Bible app. I heard it uh, pronounced a couple of different ways. We're going to say Ophrah, um, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine vat in order to hide it from the Midianites. Again, uh, Israel, including Gideon, is hiding from the Midianites so they don't know that they've got something uh, and come and take everything and oppress uh, the land. You don't thresh wine, not wine, you don't thresh wheat. In a wine vat, you take it up onto a high place on a mountaintop so that the wind can help you in uh, the, the threshing process. When you thresh the wheat, you separate the wheat from the chaff. You separate what uh, is good and fruitful and useful from what is not, but still comes up within uh, the process of uh, growing and cultivating that resource. You know, you don't do it in a low place, you do it in a high place. But here he was in, in a wine vat, off in the cut somewhere, hiding, trying to thresh wheat because of uh, his fear of the Midianites. And that was understandable because the Midianites for seven years kept coming and taking everything uh, and not just taking everything, but destroying everything and leaving them uh without resources and uh, vulnerable. All right, verse 13. I'm sorry, uh, verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. I love this portion of uh, the scripture because what Gideon is saying is something that we say often. And when I say we, I'm speaking of mankind as a whole. If that you know, you, we've heard often and we've even asked uh, at times when we are, are low and we're suffering like Israel was and like Gideon was uh, at this point. If there's a God, then why is there suffering? If God exists, then why am I going through the way that I'm going through? That That's just... It's a paradigm that that exists in the world uh, and, and a paradigm with us. And I, I get it to an extent because God is a loving God, because God is a good God, because God is one who blesses when we experience the opposite. It causes us to wonder whether or not 
God exists, because if he exists, then why would he allow, especially uh, the, the depravity and the great level of suffering that takes place in the world? You know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us, because if we were in that situation, we wouldn't allow it to happen. But let's go back. When you go back and you look at uh, uh, verse 10, you know, he, he's saying, hey, you know, the Lord brought us out. Well, the, the angel reminded them that the Lord brought them out not too long ago. And the reason that the suffering is going on, well, we, we even not just uh, verse 10, but all the way back to verse number one, the suffering was happening because of their disobedience told them don't fear the gods of the land uh they did they did what was evil in the sight of the lord and because they did what was evil in the sight of the lord these things happened first and foremost sin entered into the world through mankind all of the evil all of the terrible things that we see in the world today is because we as being human beings, allow that to enter in. How? By disobeying God, by not fearing him, by not honoring him, uh, by not, and uh, the word says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So by not keeping his commandments, we allow sin to enter into the world and with it comes all of the horrible things that comes with it. And that's how the enemy gets us, uh, uh, gives us this, this shiny thing to look at and, and tells us about all of it and how good that specific thing is but doesn't tell you all the the evil and the 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 pain and the suffering that's on the backside of it which greatly overshadows whatever pleasure is derived from participating in that thing but that's why we have all the suffering in the world that's why all the terrible stuff you know happens now from the perspective of uh the perspective that God is sovereign, you know, we still, that still makes it kind of hard to swallow sometimes, but in his sovereignty or his sovereignty is, is a, a portion and uh, a characteristic of his nature. Another characteristic is that he's just, is that uh, he believes in the law and he doesn't even break his own law. You know, he can he? Yes. Are there some times where uh, he may? Yes. But for the most part, whatever the laws and things are uh, in place, he abides by that because of his his just nature. So we've got sin in the world because we introduced it. Not all of the suffering that we experience is a direct uh, reflection of things that we ourselves have done. Uh, the, the world is sinful. So some of the stuff that we deal with is because we live in a sinful fallen world. Now, uh, overall, it was done by mankind, may not have been done by us specifically, but it was done by us and our people. And we are uh, inheriting. Uh, there, there's good inheritance and there's bad inheritance. You know, so, uh, some of the inheritance may be, uh, you know, land or uh, possession, heirlooms, things of that nature. Some of us inherit bad attitudes or uh, illness and disease that run in our family line. So an in inheritance goes uh, 
more than just one way. And some of the stuff that we're dealing with, we've inherited from uh, the the evil actions of our ancestors. But this is why they're suffering. The, the, either way it goes, it's because of us, either because we were born into sin or because of the sin that we have done. Either way it goes, you know, if there's a, a good God, then why are these things happening? They're happening because of us. Because he is a good God, he came and died and paid a sacrifice to cleanse us of this and to give us a hope and to allow us to enter into a state of perfection, a place where sin uh, cannot touch it, where the moth and the rust and the thief can't get to it he has provided that for us made a way out for us from the mess that we created but it doesn't stop the fact that we're still in the mess that we created you we can look at it uh, like this from a, a physical perspective we may have lived a life of sin and uh you know within that sin we have we've done different things to our bodies then the Lord, you know, we, we give our lives to the Lord. He saves us uh, completely. But the stuff that we've done may still catch up with us. You know, all, all those uh, long nights of, of partying may have aged us sooner than, uh, than we should have, you know, because we've taken certain things into our bodies. You know, there are organs, you know, that are now failing or other things that uh, we're dealing with, you know, you, we may have been a fighter and yeah, we, you know, we got scars and, and bruises and we may not walk the same way we did before uh, because of the stuff that we went through. Doesn't mean that we're not saved, but because we are in this fallen state and this fallen human state, there's still uh, 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 reminders of the life that we lived. All right. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 14, or, or before I go further, because I've been talking a lot. Any questions uh, or comments up to this point? All right. Uh, Elder Neil, I see you unmuted. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I'm listening to everything you said, although I'm working on something. But I was also thinking about fasting. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And I think it was uh, Ezekiel, it was, that laid on his uh, right side for 40, 40 days uh, to represent the sin of the, the, the people. Mm -hmm. And then I think that meaning is associated with, if I'm not mistaken, fasting. Yeah, uh, for, 40, uh, when I went, and there are a number of um, resources out there when it comes to uh, to the Bible in general, but uh, specifically with biblical uh, numerology uh, uh, the definitions that I found were uh, symbolizing a period of testing trial or probation uh, as well as it represents a generation of man so even with, um, with okay so Ezekiel, that covers it all yeah yeah even with Ezekiel because I don't remember how long but I know he slept on one side for so long and turned over on the other side and slept uh, if it were for uh 40 days i thought it was a couple of years but uh, if it were for 40 mm -hmm. days again it, it uh symbolizes testing and trial and probation uh and like you said it, it was to signify the the um the wickedness of the land 
And okay, yeah, based, okay, that's good. Based, that, that sounds good to me. Based on uh, what I'd studied a long time ago, I uh, was looking at the fasting because of Jesus fasting in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Yep, and uh, and that is, that's that's accurate as well. You know, again, a, a period of, of testing and trial, we know that that was the time frame that he was tempted uh, in that, that 40 days uh, uh, fasting. So, yep. Correct. Yep. Okay, All, sounds good. All right. Um, let us continue. Uh, let's see. All right. So the Lord starts speaking back to him in verse 14. The Lord uh, turns to him and said, go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not sending you? He said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my father's house. There's a lot here. Uh, so the, the Lord is speaking to him and is saying, hey, go. And he's telling him what's going. Go in the strength that I have given you. I want you to go in your own strength, knowing that your strength is coming from me. And he just got, well, number one, sent the angel to talk to the people to share with them why they were in the situation that they were in. Then he says to Gideon, I'm going to deliver uh, Israel from the hand of Midian and I'm going to use you and I'm going to use the strength that you have. And how does Gideon respond? Use me and the strength that I have. I, I'm in the weakest clan in all of Manasseh and I'm the youngest. So he he's downplaying what the Lord just said, he just told you, I'm going to deliver the land. And Gideon is like, how? How can you deliver the land through me? I I'm the baby boy. Nobody respects me. And my family is, they're, they're nothing. So how are you going to do it? I'm going to do it through the strength that I placed in you. So regardless of how, Lord, I can think of everything but his name. Gideon, I was going to call him Israel and Manasseh, and, and neither of them was quite <laughs> correct, but are specific enough. Even though Gideon saw himself in a certain light, it's not what Gideon saw himself as. He, he, he was a bit insecure, and understandably so. If you know that your family does not have any kind of social standing, or I should say, that they're the lowest man on the totem pole and you're the lowest man on the totem pole in your house that can cause you to feel uh, a, a bit insecure and unsure of yourself you know think about it those of us who um are the youngest in our households or have been the youngest uh and, and maybe not even the youngest but you know you've got the little uh uh snot nose brother sister you're always um downplaying their abilities like you you're a little young with a snapper you don't know anything you haven't been here long enough you can't do uh those things and or you were the one who was made to feel that way either way it goes it again it doesn't matter what your position is it doesn't matter what your perceived abilities are if god has called you to do something he has also given you, which he was telling Gideon, you're going to do this in the strength that I've given you. You have the strength. 
you just don't know your own strength. That's something that uh, really resonates with me uh, because I was generally the youngest one around and um, I've always been, you know, rather thin. Uh, I was generally the shortest among everyone. So, um, <laughs> and because of my brother being um, a gifted fighter, I, you know, I, I fought, you all know that I uh, I participated in, in doing those kinds of things, but uh, everything I got, I had to work for, work hard for as far as uh, physical things were concerned. I, I'm not a, a gifted athlete excuse me, any kind of athletic uh, endeavors, I had to fight hard to uh, to attain those things. He was a gifted athlete. I mean, just, you know, tumbling all the time. And and uh, like I said, just a gifted, gifted fighter. He didn't have to, to try hard. He just kind of knew what to do. Because of that, it put a, a sense of insecurity in me because I can remember one time uh, uh, standing up and like, look, you're not going to keep doing this to me. And uh, next thing I know, my head was bouncing off of the slab floor in my basement. I was like, OK, well, I might not want to do that anymore because <laughs> that didn't feel good. Um, you know, and it, it 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 caused a bit of insecurity in me. Now, as time went on, I can remember and I was telling my sister this not too long ago uh she was talking about how he would use us as um as punching bags literally you know he'd make a stand still and he would practice uh his technique uh using us kicking us and, and punching us um and I, I i told her i said um after so long of my training uh he he kind of called me out which he would do from time to time like come on come on let's fight it's like, oh, I don't want to fight because uh, I didn't feel like getting beat up. So I was like, no, I don't want to fight. Uh, but this time I was like, you know what? OK, let's let's fight. I have honed my skills a bit more. I, I've got uh, some confidence. You know, I, I've been doing this without you. So, let you know, let's fight. And that's the last time <laughs> he said, come on, let's fight. Uh, I, uh, we grabbed our gear, cleared out everything in the living room and um, and we went at it. And when he noticed that I was no longer afraid of him and that, uh, which I, I understood a lot of his frustration with me as a kid because of my low view of myself, I didn't know how strong I was. And I'm not saying that to, um, uh, I'm not saying that to, to, to stroke my own ego or anything of that nature, but um regardless of my size and I think of my uncle Marvin specifically um in the world of of boxing and, and fighting you have something called pound for pound pound for pound I've got some some strength that you wouldn't think that someone my size would have um and I just didn't know it I didn't know it until I got a little bit older and you know, we start doing some different things and, you know, people would give me stuff to open because my hand strength was, was stronger than theirs. I was like, well, you should be stronger than me. But anyway, I, I digress and I feel like I'm pumping myself up, which is not my uh, goal. So let's move on uh, from that. But anyway, he would be frustrated with me because he knew my strength. He knew my abilities. He knew 
uh, the things that I could do, but because I didn't know and because I thought less of myself, I wouldn't do it. And I don't know if you all have ever dealt with someone like that, but that can be so frustrating. It's like, dude, why are you messing around like this? You can do it, you know, in rearing children. You're like, you know, you can you can put your own shoes on, you know, you can do this, you can do that. You're not helpless. But when our view of ourselves is not correct, when it is not uh, the proper view, yes, uh, it, it's a crop. Yes, <laughs> Trey said, uh, too much strength. Uh, th look, this is why people don't like uh, hugging me and shaking my hand because I don't know my strength and I wind up um, hurting people, not intentionally. I just don't know my strength. Anyway, I told you we want to move on from that, Jermaine. We're not talking about me anymore. <laughs> um, but it can be frustrating when you see people who are languishing and not achieving what they could because they don't know what they're able to do. Now, the Lord told Gideon, you're going to do this and you're going to do this through the strength that you have because I've strengthened you and you're going to accomplish it. Yet he was uh, insecure. And I think we're going to stop here. Um, I got a little bit more to go over, uh, but I think we'll stop. We may go to verse 17, uh, but I don't think we're going to go too much further just due to the time. Um, Nona Jones. Nona Jones is a pastor out of Gainesville, Florida, and she is an executive for Meta, the parent company for Facebook. What she does with Meta is she heads up uh, their faith-based partnerships. Yes, Meta has a uh, department just for faith-based partnerships and, and um, encouraging people to build groups and things on uh, Facebook as well as Instagram uh, for faith-based reasons. And she's the one who's behind all that. Uh, very, very bright woman. Uh, very beautiful, and I'm not speaking specifically of uh, physical beauty, although uh, she she's beautiful that way as well. But just has a beautiful spirit that uh, you know th th that really causes her to to shine the light of God. Uh, you know, just there's something about her, and that something is Jesus. But um, she said that in prayer once because she uh, I was listening to a podcast today about her and insecurity i was like wow lord okay this is great so uh, it was right in line with what uh we were going to be covering today uh, but she like all of us has dealt with some insecurity when growing up she was uh overweight most of her life and then she saw someone who was about her weight who lost 100 pounds she was like wait a minute if they can do it, I can do it too. So she started working and doing some different things to uh, to share that weight and has uh, done so and has kept it off. But because of being overweight much of her life, it created some, some insecurities. And those things still, even though she has uh, overcome much of that, there's still portions of that there. She said that in prayer once, the Lord told her that insecurity is not about ego. So it's not about necessarily 
how you feel about yourself, even though that does play a role in it. But insecurity is a function of what your identity is secure to. I'm going to say that again because it really stood out to me and I think it's worth repeating. Insecurity is not about ego. It's not about ego. It is a function of what your identity is secure to. And we see that in this situation with Gideon. Gideon's identity was secure to his social status. It was secure to uh, uh, what his family was. It was secure to the fact that he was the youngest and, and was not respected. That's where his insecurity um, came in because his identity was secure to the wrong thing. When our identity is secure to God, which is what the Lord was uh, do or beginning to do through Gideon at this time, was showing him you can do a lot. It's because of who I am in you. And, and here's one thing that I didn't say earlier, uh, but it bears mentioning when the angel said uh uh mighty man of of valor which is what it says in many of the other ones i think it said mighty warrior in the version that we just read but when that was said gideon didn't he he, he did not deny that he just said how can i do it when i'm the, i'm the youngest he didn't deny that he was a mighty warrior he just denied his abilities as a mighty warrior Again, our identity needs to be secured in who God says we are. What he's showing us, again, the, the angel was showing him, hey, here's who you are. But because his identity was linked to and secured to his perception of himself, it caused him to be insecure. Uh, so again, I, I wanna encourage everyone, Let let us, let us secure our identity to what God says we are versus our perception of uh, ourselves. She also said, now that those, that's what the Lord said to her in prayer. Something else that she said regarding insecurity is that insecurity is the fruit of comparison. Insecurity is what comes out of us and is the byproduct of us comparing ourselves with somebody else well uh you know they they, they you know they're, they're bigger than me they're smaller than me they're taller than me they're shorter than me they're uh uh they they've got somebody they don't have anybody <laughs> no matter where we are on the spectrum of things whatever the opposite is can be seen as a benefit if that's what we're looking at. And again, that's where the insecurity comes. Oh, I could do so much more if I was like this person. You know, if I had what they had, then I would do A, B, C, X, Y, and Z. When again, they're probably looking and thinking the exact opposite of their situation. Insecurity is the produce of comparison. And comparison, comparison is the fruit of rejection say that again insecurity 
is the fruit of comparison and comparison is the fruit of rejection. We often begin comparing because we've been rejected for whatever that thing is that, that's causing us to feel insecure. So because we have been rejected and because we want to be included, we look at those people who we deem to be where we want to be and say, okay, well, what is it about me that's not like the other person or vice versa? What are they doing that I'm not doing? And again, that leads to our insecurity because we're focused on our perceived shortcomings versus looking at who we are and what we do have. We can get so much further in life if we simply built on our strengths versus focusing on our perceived deficits. Actually, those things that are deficits, and it's something that I, I um, it's a strategy that I often use in coaching when I'm speaking with my people at work and we're looking at the things that they're doing. I'll you know, show them, hey, look, you're doing really, really good here. This shows the strength that you have. Now, let's take what you're doing well and see how we can apply those things to the areas where you are not succeeding so that we can bring that up and we can make what was an opportunity a strength. And uh, just from a, a spiritual aspect, uh, the, the Bible says we go from faith to faith and from glory to glory. This is how we look at what God is doing and he has done. We draw strength from that and we move forward. We push a little further forward. That, that's what growth is. You cannot be comfortable and grow. Growth and comfort are not bedfellows. They're enemies. So if you're looking for growth, if you're looking to become more, if you're looking to achieve uh, the, the greatest good that you can achieve in your life, know that you're not going to be comfortable. Know that it's not going to be a bed of roses. Know that, that and that, that's what often uh, causes people to commit suicide and, and uh, engage in destructive behaviors because they think, boy, you know, when I get to this point, then it'll be great. That's not um, that's not the case. That is is not the case. You, growth and comfort don't go together. You can't have growth and comfort. You can't have comfort and grow at the same time. There's going to be adversity in growth, but because you do attain a higher level, because you are strengthened. I'm thinking of uh, um, our physical health uh specialist that comes in you know in order to build your muscle you got to keep lifting heavier you keep lifting heavier and it keeps growing and it keeps growing there's pain associated with that but that pain is weakness leaving the body and it is proof positive of the growth that's taking place in your life so again insecurity is the fruit of comparison and comparison is a fruit of rejection. So when we look at the areas that we've been rejected in uh, that cause us to compare, that helps us to see where that insecurity is. Uh, but again, our security needs to be 
in what God says, because it doesn't matter how truthful and all those things very well may be true and accurate and real, but none of that matters as much as what God is saying. When we look to him and we place our security in what he has said, then we can indeed be secure. All right. Uh, as I shared earlier, I, I thought that we would stop there. We will. Uh, whenever we get together again, we'll pick back up uh, at verse 16. And we'll take it from there. Uh, Elder Neal, I see, uh, I see your statements. Yes. Yes, they were. They were small in the, in the eyes of the Canaanites uh, and in the Amorites uh, that they were facing. Uh, we didn't even, we didn't get, well, we got into that a bit where it said that their, um, their forces look like a swarm of locusts. And going back to what you were saying about being small in their eyes, remember, this is why Israel had to be in the wilderness for 40 years. It was because of their insecurity. They compared themselves with the giants of the land that they were in. And they said, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. How do they know what they look like in the eyes of somebody else? They're not in their bodies, but because of their uh, comparison of how big and strong they were and how uh, feeble uh, they seemed. And, and which is understandable. You, you just came out of slavery. They could still have a slave's mindset, even though they were more in number than the Egyptians because of their uh, their place in life, you know, be, being subjected to those things, they didn't believe that they could do as much as they could, even though God did everything for them. And if they were looking to him and what he did, then they would not have been afraid, which was the mindset of Joshua and Caleb. It was like, look, God, God just brought us out. You, you know, we just walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, right? You know that the Lord took Egypt out, right? You remember those plagues that happened and how we are a wealthy nation now, right? Well, if he did all that, he'll take care of these, these giants. This is nothing for him. And again, for us, whatever it is we're facing, it's nothing to God. Look to him, look to his strength, look to his power. Remember that uh, we can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. One last thing, I promise you all, I wouldn't keep you uh, longer than time that uh, that we normally are here. Um, but I want to close with a, a quote by Andy Stanley that I heard uh, on the podcast because I thought it was it was excellent. He said, leverage what God has given you and celebrate what God has given others. And this is uh, dealing with the comparison piece. Leverage what God has given you. Focus on what he's giving you and do everything you can with what you have. And when you see others succeeding, bless God for that. Praise God for that. That keeps you from being envious. That keeps you from comparing. That helps to fuel you uh, versus keeping you back. Kind of like, uh, the situation with Nona and losing the weight. When she saw someone else did it, she allowed that to fuel her versus, oh, you know, she, uh, yeah, she did this and she did that. And, you know, if I came up in a different way, then maybe I would do it. No, she said, they did it. I can do it too. So let me use that to my benefit. Again, um, use what God has given you. Leverage what he's given you 
and celebrate what he's doing in others' lives and giving to them. All right. Uh, that is all for tonight. We pray that today's message has been a blessing and makes an eternal impact on your life. Come join us live on Sunday at 1245 p.m. Central Time. If you're in the St. Louis metro area, we meet at 1060 Chambers Road, a little over a mile south on Bell Fountain Road from Highway 270. You can also join us via Zoom. The login number is 314-720-8880. You can call that same number to reach someone on our ministry team or text the word connect there to be in the know regarding upcoming events. Again, that number is 314-720-8880. We are Relationship Church. Come grow with us.